This episode of the Bendy Bodies podcast is brought to you by Bowerfine Premium Braces and Supports. Bowerfine promotes mobility and activity through pain relief and improved joint control. Welcome back to Bendy Bodies with the Hypermobility MD, where we explore the intersection of health and hypermobility, focusing on dancers and other aesthetic athletes. This is co-host Jennifer Milner, here with the founder of Bendy Bodies, Dr. Linda Bluestein. Our goal is to bring you state-of-the-art medical information to help you live your best life. Please remember to always consult with your own healthcare team before making any changes to your routine. Our guest today is retired dancer and Bendy Body's own EDS wellness ambassador, Aiden Leslie. Welcome to Bendy Bodies. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yay. So Aiden, for those of you who don't know you as our wellness ambassador and don't know your story, could you tell us a bit about your health journey? Of course. So I grew up as a dancer, first competitive, and then I became a pre-professional ballet dancer. And uh, when I was about 15, I started struggling with gaining muscle and uh, keeping up with the intense cardio required for a lot of ballet and frequent injuries. And it was around that time that I reached out and started working with some other people in the uh, medical world. And I discovered and was diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And then when I was 17, I like to say I hit the EDS wall and everything that could go wrong went wrong all at once. Um, so I started having more symptoms and really sort of put a, a full full stop on my life. But I am fighting back to take back my life. And I am really excited uh, to go on that journey and see where it takes me. Excellent. That's fabulous. And, and at what point did you realize that you were not a typical teen going through a rough, rough patch, but a person learning how to live with a chronic illness? quite a while. It took quite a while for me to figure that out. Um, I was diagnosed with EDS while I was still dancing and I was having to work around that, if you will, and had to come up with some creative solutions, uh, like having two water bottles so that I could have one that had electrolytes and everything. But um, I wasn't really considering myself to be different than anyone else in the room. It was just sort of some adjustments I had to make. But after I hit that EDS wall, um, and I started having a really severe headache, a migraine-like headache that would not go away no matter what I did. Uh, still have it. But this was about uh, probably about six months into having that. And I met up with some of my friends who I had danced with, uh, but they'd all kind of gone on in their lives and gone to college or been working professionally and all that. And I met up with them and I was listening to them speak and talk about their lives and realized that we were on completely different planets. Like my problems that I was facing in my daily life were vastly different from theirs. And while, you know, we grew up together and we were great friends and we still had a really great relationship, I realized that I was on a different path than them and that that was perfectly okay. <laughs> um, everyone's on their own path and everyone finds their own way. Uh, but that sometimes, especially if you have hypermobility, your path might be a little bit different to other people around you. I remember, um, Aiden, because you and I work together regularly, yes. I remember you said that there was uh, a turning point for you when you stopped trying to think of yourself as, oh, I just need to get through this headache or I just need to get through this stomach ache. And you realized, hey, wait, 
I have a chronic illness and I have to live my life differently. Like it, it changed the way you live your day-to-day life and the way that you approached sort of your long-term care. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. That was, uh, again, after I hit the EDS wall, everything kind of trying to change. That was such a big pivot point for me. But for even for several months after that, I was treating, it felt like I was treating symptoms. So something would happen and I'd try and take care of it. Uh, And sometimes that solution worked, sometimes it didn't. Uh, But everything I felt like I was doing is very reactionary. It was there was a problem and I would try and fix it. And I reached a point probably a year into having really severe EDS symptoms and then kind of getting worse and worse and new ones popping up in the way that hypermobility symptoms love to do. Um, I started realizing I needed to be more proactive and just sort of addressing problems as they came up was never going to fix the solution. It was never going to stop the, or minimize the, the amount of damage that the problems were doing to start with. So I, that was that about probably about a year into really having to deal with symptoms on a daily basis that I realized I need to start treating myself proactively and, and try and minimize as much as I can and, and take care of myself, not as someone like, oh, I have this headache once, like he said, but it's, it's, it's not a come and go headache. This is, this is, you're in it for the long haul. So you gotta, it's a marathon, not a sprint. You gotta kind of work with that and, and think about it in that way. Mm-hmm. So I know that you have been in and out of so many clinics and hospitals for acute things and chronic things. Um, what has your experience been like dealing with the medical world, both as someone who started this journey as a minor, right? And also as someone who has a largely invisible illness. It's definitely been an adventure. Um, I really first started seeing doctors and trying to work on my symptoms as they were getting worse when I was about 17. And every, in my experience, in the beginning, they were all really fantastic. They all really tried to to help me figure out what was wrong and tried some great approaches and different things. And then after a couple years of trying new things and not a whole lot getting better, um, I think they sort of, the doctors that I was seeing ran out of, of treatments for me. Uh, they, they didn't quite know what to do with me. I, a lot of my symptoms, because it was invisible illness, you couldn't necessarily measure it. It's very hard to figure out a way to quantify and measure a headache if you're not the one experiencing it. And it's really hard to quantify and measure fatigue if you're not the one experiencing it. So I think it was, it was really hard, a bit of a communication issue because it's so hard to, to get and express what you're feeling in a way that makes sense uh, from a doctor's side. In the same way that sometimes doctors saying everything right, it's hard from a patient's side to, to hear it and everything like that. So it was, it was a bit tricky for the first several years until I found doctors I was comfortable with who we sort of spoke the same language. Um, but there were, there was definitely some, some hiccups on the road, uh, because, um, you know, it was, it was hard to go in and say, you know, I'm having this problem. Uh, I remember I had, when I was about 18 in the sort of I was, it was around Christmas time, I started having really severe stomach problems and I dropped about 15 pounds in one month. And I went to the doctor because that's not good. <laughs> um, so I went to the doctor and I was like, Hey, I'm nauseous all the time. I dropped this much weight so quickly. Like I, something's wrong. Like, can you please help me? And it was because the doctor wasn't in my body and they weren't seeing me every single day they had no idea what was happening. <laughs> they didn't know either. <laughs> it was 
really tricky and um, no, no one really knew what to do. And I luckily had uh, seen a YouTuber on, named Life with Stripes on YouTube. And she had very, very similar symptoms that I did. And she was talking about how she had gastroparesis. And this is back before I think EDS really became as talked about as it is now, luckily, but it was, there wasn't a whole lot as much, uh, no one was really talking about it. And I saw her talk about it and I did my research. I went onto the Mayo Clinic website. I looked at studies about EDS and about gastroparesis. And I went into my doctor and I said, is there any credibility here? Uh, like, is this possible? And my doctor sort of said, no, there's no reason for you to have that. And it, it was heavily implied with this particular doctor that, uh, uh, he thought it was an eating disorder and sort of threatened to put me on a feeding tube unless I started gaining the weight back. And uh, that was not productive to me. I, I sort of went in a spiral during that appointment around it. Like, am I crazy? Like, am I, am I doing this to myself? Like, is there not actually something wrong? But I looked at it objectively. I, I, I started pulled back and I said, okay, I, I'm not doing this. Like, this is not in my head. <laughs> you don't drop 15 pounds in four weeks about nothing. Like this, this was serious. Something was wrong. And I did more research and I went back and I said, can we please just do the test? Um, and I did not go in saying, here's my Facebook comment. <laughs> hey, some of <laughs> my dog walkers, third cousin's girlfriend thought I could have this. You know, I went in with credible research and I said, can we please just try this test after nothing else was working? And lo and behold, they did the test and it came back that I had gastroparesis. So there's definitely been a lot of walking that line between respecting doctors because they do know the human body. They went to medical school. They know more about the human body than I do, but also respecting myself because I know more about my body than the doctor I'm talking to does. So it's been a lot of that walking that line between respecting and also advocating for myself. That is a fine line to walk. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and it is something that you have been looking at and sort of um, practicing now for a while and, and sort of growing into the point that you have reached at it. So, so what have you learned about interacting with medical professionals throughout all of this and, and what sort of what sort of tips might you offer other people dealing with a bewildering array of issues to address? Absolutely. Bewildering is a really good word for it. Um, sort of like what I was saying, definitely you do your research and make sure it's credible resources. Um, it, you know, you use a study, go in and, but don't go doctor chasing is a big one. Just because, you know, it, it just sometimes the first doctor doesn't necessarily work perfectly. But if you're going to, you know, so many years of doctors about the same issue, don't keep going for one just so you get the answer you want. At some point, there's going to be a bit of give and take to have to go both ways. But definitely do your research. Make sure you're using credible resources. Um, and it, it's all about walking that line. I would definitely say make sure before you go in, again, do your research, but also Think about specifically what you want to say. It's a lot easier to, uh, especially if you end up having to push back against the pushback uh, a little bit, it's a lot easier when you go in and you sort of know from the get-go what you want to talk about. Uh, this also, I did this with my mom when I was a minor and going to all these appointments is we'd sit down, we'd write out symptoms, what we had tried, dates that I'd taken things, dates of things that happened, 
all that sort of thing, um, just to kind of get all of that figured out before we went in, because it was a lot easier when you go in having all of that, even if it's written out. I had a binder, like a three inch binder full of all my medical files when I was really going through it. Uh, and so I would say definitely do your research, do your credible research and think about what you want to say before you go in. Those are all great, great tips. And has advocating for yourself come naturally to you or did you have to build it up like a muscle? Oh, no, <laughs> did not come naturally to me at all. If you know me in person, you know, I'm a very shy person with a tremendous amount of social anxiety. Uh, if you meet me in the wild, <laughs> I was not I was not one of those people that walked into a doctor's office and just started chatting and having a great time. I was very quiet. So actually having to use my voice quite literally and also figuratively and say, um, no, <laughs> can we look at this again? Can we try something else? Did not come easy to me. It was definitely something I had to build up. Um, and it did, I like to think it got easier the more I go on. Cause once you sort of do that, especially after I had my gastroparesis uh, test and it came back positive, that was really a great boost for the future mm -hmm. to keep saying, okay, I was right. Okay. And it didn't work every time. Like there's sometimes that you go in and you say, Hey, can we look at this? And then they're like, no, that's not that. And sometimes it's not right. But just having that, once you get over that initial hurdle and it works, it gives you a great boost to continue doing that in the future. That's, that's so true. And you mentioned earlier, um, that it's important to um, do your research, right? Before you go into a, a medical appointment, it's important to sort of gather your information and have it all in one spot. Um, are there any other kind of bits of practical advice that you would give to someone trying to get ready for a medical appointment? Just as much as you're doing your research, sort of research your own body, if that makes sense. Keep track of as much as you can. Uh, if you're going, I know I, I've had to do a lot of appointments about headaches. If you go in and you keep a headache diary, it's a lot easier for doctors to visually see it. Um, I think it just helps in that communication process. So if you can keep track of your symptoms in a diary or a log, um, I remember I went through a phase where I had a bullet journal and I made it all cute. It was pink and sparkly and had flowers <laughs> on it because sometimes you need to just take your very clinical looking headache diary and make it personal and fun. So it's not just drab pain all the time. Uh, so as much as you're researching what could be happening, make sure that you are researching as well what is happening right now. I think that's a really great tip to help again, aid in that communication between doctors and patients. I love that. That's great. Thank you. So Dr. Bluestein, as someone who is on the other side of the table in those uh, appointments, so to speak, um, does Aiden's experience sound typical for someone with chronic illness? So what Aiden is describing is very, very typical for someone with a condition like EDS. Um, EDS, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, is a very multi-systemic condition. And for most physicians, they have not only no idea what it's like to live in an EDS body, but they can't even really wrap their brains around it. It's just so hard to fathom how so many different things could be going on that, um, I, and I, and I sometimes draw this out as a, as a graph for people that, you know, if you're experiencing this many symptoms up here and your doctor has never experienced more than this, 
that's like a huge gap to try to fill. So it's um, extremely common for people that are dealing with such complex conditions. Um, Aiden described it very well that, you know, for a lot of these things, you can't measure them well. A lot of the imaging studies are going to come back normal. The labs are going to come back normal. And sometimes the doctors misinterpret the fact that you're almost disappointed when they come back normal. Um, and, and I've been there. I'm on both sides of the prescription pad, if you will, and the stethoscope or any other analogy you want to use, um, because I also have EDS. So I definitely understand also that the test is normal and you're like kind of disappointed because you were hoping for an explanation. Right. So sometimes, yeah. So sometimes that can almost turn off the healthcare professional because they, they almost think that you want to be sick when really you don't, you just want to know why you don't feel well. That does make sense. I've definitely been on that side. And I think it's, it's, it's very, very great explanation that you're talking about of, of how I've seen that switch of when you sort of look terrified and look ter- scared that there's nothing wrong. They think that you're searching for something to be wrong when really you're just searching for a way to get better. And I think that's a great, great thing to point out. Thank you. So what sort of advice would you offer people to help prepare for those medical appointments? So as, as Aiden described, Um, preparation is so extremely important. So I recommend that people first start out by thinking about their goals. What is it that they want to get out of this next appointment? And try not to bring previous appointments into that next appointment with you. Um, Try to start with a clean slate, especially if it's a new provider that you're seeing for the first time. Maybe it's a neurologist and you've already seen a couple of them. If possible, Try to you know give this person a fair chance because sometimes people come in to appointments with um, you know a bit of a bit of a preconceived notion about how things are going to go that is not going to be helpful for them. So try to have an open mind. Um, like Aiden said, you definitely can benefit from rehearsing with a family member and having that person really help you define what it is that you want to present in terms of the information. Because sometimes when you're in that setting, you either you know forget what to say or you kind of you're intimidated and and you so you don't say what you wanted to say. So it helps, if possible, to have the same person that helps you prepare to have them go with you to the appointment so that they can, you know, kind of nudge you and say, Hey, remember you wanted to talk about blah, blah, blah. You know, I think that can be very helpful. And especially with um, teenagers. And I see a lot of um, teenage patients, uh, females in particular, who, you know, it's hard enough going through those teenage years without having chronic illness, but add chronic illness on top of it. And I think especially as ballet dancers, that, you know, we're used to being compliant. We're used to, you know, we're told to do certain things and we, we go along, we tend to be perfectionistic. And so when things start to go not perfectly with our bodies, sometimes we can blame ourselves and it can be very frustrating. So having somebody who can really help give us that confidence, I think can be very, very important and um, really help us to get what we need out of that appointment. So make sure that you prepare, that you plan, you set out your goals. Um, also, you would be shocked at how many people, even who see me for appointments, um, who 
have not filled out their forms, for example, or have not done their medication reconciliation. So I'm in the middle of an appointment and I'm preparing to write them a prescription. And I say, I see you're on, you know, these medications. Well, no, that's not what I'm taking. And that's not the right dose. And they filled it out. They put it all in there. So make sure that all of that is as accurate as possible, because that will help make the appointment more efficient. And I know, again, from being on the other side, it can feel like so much homework and it can feel like, oh, why do I have to do all, all this, fill out this paperwork? And, and, and I know when I went to my first pain clinic appointment, which was hard enough in the first place, um, but you know, answering those questions, they seemed like, well, wh- why does all of this matter? But it really does. We, we, these are things that we really need to know in order to develop a good plan. So take all of that um, seriously, make sure that the medications are you know, complete up to date. If you're on any supplements, that that's complete and up to date, because then you will be able to not only get more out of the appointment, but it also builds credibility with the healthcare professional. If they see that you are taking this seriously and that you have done all of that homework on the front end, then I think that really sets the stage for, for them to understand that you are somebody who really does want to get better. That's a fantastic point. I definitely think about credibility a lot, and it's a very important part on the patient side. Because I think if you're someone who goes in every other week that says, hey, my great grandma said I have this, um, but you do no other homework, you don't have any forms for that, anything, I think it's a lot harder to get taken seriously. And I think it, it, it makes it a little bit harder for the rest of us who are doing their homework to, uh, to get taken seriously. So I think it's like what you said, it's very important to build that credibility to do your homework and go in because I think it's, it sets you off on a better foot uh, for all your appointments. Okay, that's a great point. We expect um, when we're going in to, to see a doctor, we're thinking we're paying them. We expect them to do all of the work, right? We are going to them for answers. But the doctors have this very narrow amount of time to be able to see you. And none of them are going in going, how can I just sort of waste the 10 minutes that I'm going to see them until I can get out of the room and go on to something else? They want to get the most out of that time with you as well because they want to, to have the most efficient meeting possible so that they can get you the best answer the best feedback, right? So doing your homework, while I hate sitting and filling out those 20 pages, um, it is helpful. It is helpful to get it done in advance so that you don't show up and and have to fill it out at the time in which you should be back in the room with the doctor, right? Um, And those little things can make a huge difference, I imagine, to the doctor, to their schedule, and to their huh, this person is organized. They have brought in their pain journal. They have brought in an updated list of meds. Let me see what I can do for them from here would, would be my thought. And, and Aiden raised an excellent point that I wanted to jump off real quick. Um, and let me see if I can remember this exactly the way you said it, but just in the same way that, that um, patients may prejudge based on other experiences with other physicians, we may prejudge based on other experiences with other patients. So it's, you know, it's, I'm not saying that it's fair cause it's, it's not, but we're all human beings and we all see things from our own perspective, right? And we're all shaped by our experiences. So if you, if you go in and you demonstrate that you are prepared and that you are willing to do the work, because that is one thing I can say almost with 100% certainty, there's, there's no magic cure for EDS or any of the associated conditions. Um, they all require a lot of work. And these are lifelong things that require constant care of the body and um, attention. And 
just like you want don't want to be dragging along your doctor, your doctor doesn't want to be dragging you along. So you want to be walking hand in hand together through this journey, and you want to be demonstrating to each other that you know you are wanting to be on a team together. That is great. Thank you. Um, so let's talk about being proactive, um, Dr. Bluestein. Um, what can what can we do in that meeting to try to be proactive? We've done our homework. We filled out our forms. We brought in our pain journal. Is there anything else that we can do? So it's, you know, when we go through medical school, we spend a lot of time learning how to extract information from people um, and, and what to focus on. And it's understandable that as appointments have gotten shorter and shorter and shorter, that it's hard for patients to necessarily know what they should focus on. But that's where, you know, as Aiden mentioned about the three ring binder, that's, it's helpful to keep that three ring binder or the headache journal or any of those kind of things. And at the same time, have what I call a one sheet, um, a one sheet page with, you know, the most pertinent things that you're constantly, you know, keep it as a word document or whatever. So you're constantly dropping off other things as more important things come into, into play. So um, it's, but this is, it's kind of a little bit unfair to expect patients to do this, but it's the reality of, of the situation that we're in. We are in um, an environment of extremely dysfunctional healthcare. And unfortunately people with conditions like EDS and other hypermobility disorders and connective tissue disorders are, we are at the shortest end of the stick because these conditions are, you know, as you said, mostly invisible. They're multi-systemic. Um, it is very hard for most physicians to understand what it must be like to be walking around in a body that works like this, because if they haven't experienced it, it you know, it's like, I have no idea what, to, how to relate to this. It's the exact opposite of going into an appointment with a fractured arm where the bone is sticking out, you know, and everyone can see what that is and, and relate to it. And they can, they can feel that, oh my gosh, if that was my broken arm, you know, they just, it's just really hard for most providers to, to relate to this. So whenever possible, focus on more specific symptoms rather than less specific ones. Try to really think through what your symptoms are so that you can be consistent with your story. Because that's the other thing is that people sometimes will, in the process of telling their story, They'll, they'll tell it a little bit differently the second time and then a little differently the third time. And especially if you're at a teaching institution, you know, the intern has taken your, your history, then maybe a resident, and then the staff comes in and now you tell a little bit different story and everyone's looking at everyone else like, you know, what just happened here? When, when really it's more a matter of you really kind of thinking ahead what the answers are. And it may not really matter if you get palpitations four times a day or five times a day, that doesn't make a difference, right? But you just want to stay consistent when you can. More specific is often more valuable than less specific. And remember that we're looking for patterns. So we are trying to put, we're trying to play detective with the limited amount of time that we usually have available to us. So we're trying to put together the information that you're giving us and put us put it together into a into something that fits with a diagnostic um, category that would make the most sense. So with Aiden's example of gastroparesis, you know, depending on how familiar that doctor is with gastroparesis or when they last read about it, um, I love what she said about bringing in 
an article that's much better than saying someone on Facebook, you know, um, even <laughs> if it's true, it, it doesn't matter if it's true. Um, it's much better to look for an open access journal article, print it, make it easy, make it as easy as possible for them. Print it, highlight like where, you know, just a couple of lines, keep it super simple um, and straightforward. And that will, those kinds of things, I believe will make it much more likely that you can connect with your doctor in a way that they then become your ally rather than seeing you as, you know, I don't know how, I don't know what to do with this person. Yeah. And that's, that's a great point. I love what you said about the one sheet. I think that's a really valuable piece of advice so that we're always trying to keep our medical information current and sure Aiden has gastroparesis, but if that's not the issue right now, she's going to want her one sheet to reflect what are the current issues and why is she going back to see that doctor? And, and what you mentioned about, um, you know, Aiden's story with gastroparesis, again, it's a great point because if her doctor doesn't see a lot of people with gastroparesis, as you said, the point of view that they're coming from, what they're used to, what they're working with is going to influence what they're looking at and what they're seeing. And for us, um, for the population we work with, artistic athletes, you know, we have a very slender uh, dancer going in to see a doctor and she's like, I've lost all this weight. And the doctor's like, mm, eating disorder, feeding tube, like that may be just what he sees more of. And that may be where his first thought went. And, and that's just the story that, that he is used to working with. And so it was great that she was able to come in, as you said, highlight, highlight those articles, find those few little things that you can say here, this is what I want you to be able to look at and talk about. Um, Aiden talked a little bit about how she's been going through this since she was a teenager, since she was a minor. From your point of view, Dr. Bluestein, um, is there advice that you would give teen patients specifically? So I really think it's important for teen patients to learn how to start to learn how to advocate for themselves, especially when their parent is still involved in their health care. But, you know, it's important to really start to learn how to, you know, speak on your own behalf. And I really like it when I hear from both the patient and the teen patient and the parent. Um, if I hear everything from the parent and the, and the teen never says a word, it just, it's really nice to be able to hear from both of them. I want to hear, I do want to hear from the parents too. I definitely want to hear from the parents too, but I want to hear from the, from the teen. And especially as they're getting to be you know, 19, 20. I mean, I, I do have some patients like that where the, where the parent is still really directing the care. And I understand that in some cases, if, if the symptoms are bad enough and the person is really, really struggling, that maybe the parent does still need to be in charge of the care. You know, that there's challenges there that um, sometimes cannot be rectified differently. But whenever possible, I think it's important to learn to speak up for yourself and, and be able to be really actively involved even when you're a minor. Aiden, does that ring at all with you, resonate with you? Absolutely. I think well, when you're younger, it's it's very important to start speaking up and, and trying it. And it's terrifying, especially as me when I was very shy and introverted when I was growing up, it's terrifying, but it gets easier. Um, and once you start doing it and you start seeing the benefit of actually connecting with the doctor instead of just letting your parents do it for you, 
uh, it, it starts to get even easier. Uh, so definitely start, but also, you know, sort of like what I was saying before, where I talked it over with my mom before every appointment, that was really nice because sometimes it's not intentional. I just genuinely forget to bring something up. And my mom would be like, oh, hey, you, sh- you wanted to talk about this. And she would jump in or she might chime on to things that I hadn't really noticed, but she had noticed as an outside perspective um, watching me. So I think it's it's very important for both to have a voice and to use it as much as they can. Absolutely. So um, Dr. Bluestein, we've talked about both sides being prepared, both sides walking into the room, ready to work together, ready to walk hand in hand into the sunset, <laughs> all in, this, in, in these ideal scenarios, right? <laughs> but um, if people do feel unseen or unheard by their doctor, um, what do you suggest they do? So if, I think if you can really think about what, what, if you could get just one thing out of the appointment, what is it that you would really like to get, to get out of there? And if you feel like you're really just having difficulty connecting with the doctor, then, you know, you want to try to, to connect with them on a, on a human level. And, and I've been in appointments with family members where I literally could feel and see the, the switch happen in the, in the doctor where they went from like, they came rushing in and they were, you know, like you could almost feel the frustration, you know, and they're sitting at the computer and they're doing all, and then something happened where the, where the switch flipped and they started to see my family member as a person. And they started to really get that this is somebody who is struggling and who just wants their help and needs their help. And so I think that really working on, on building that, that connection in whatever way. And sometimes it takes, you know, using certain words, like, like you could even ask the doctor a question, have you ever had the flu? And if they say yes, say, you know, think about how you felt on that worst day of the flu. Before I became chronically ill, I had the flu. And it feels to me like I have the flu every single day. And I know that this may sound crazy to you because of X, Y, and Z, but you know, it's, this is how, this is how I feel. And I am willing to do the work. I understand that, you know, you may not be able to cure or fix my problem, but I at least need to feel like you heard what I said and that I was taken seriously. And that if there are any possible ways that we can, you know, evaluate this further, that we are doing those, taking those steps. I'd love to that's a great t- tackle that a little bit from the patient side. Um, Cause mm-hmm. I definitely think you have some really great points there. Uh, I, I've, it, my, I've myself been in appointments where you see that switch. Um, I, it, I can, you, you, you can tell part of the way through the appointment, whether you're kind of on shaky branches or if it's really great. Um, and I've been in both types of appointments where you're on shaky branches and you fight for it and you make that connection and it turns around, but I've also been in those appointments where you fight for it and it just does not keep, it does not go well. And I think it's so important to have almost like a filter in your mind where if you're in those appointments that you know that this is just not working because sometimes you get a doctor and it just doesn't click. I think it's very important to have a filter and to to sort of step step back from the chaos that is doctor's appointments in general and to say, look at it objectively and say, does this apply to me? Does it, does this even work for like, does, is this fit for me? Does this apply? Does this benefit me? 
and make sure you're looking at it objectively. Cause sometimes it's, you may not really connect with the doctor, but they're saying something that will benefit you, but you don't want to do it. I've been in that boat where it's, it's something that you, I, I've been told you need to exercise for one hour every day and you need to schedule your day really strictly. You need to make sure you're doing this every day and you need to make sure that you're not doing this. And I remember being like, I'm like, this is so much like I'm overwhelmed just thinking about this, but I talked it over with my mom and I sort of stepped back and I thought, you know, this isn't in reality. It's not that much work. It's just sit down, figure it out and try it for a little while. And I did. And it ended up really helping. At the same time, I've also had doctor's appointments where they say something and I look at the filter and I'm like, yeah, no, this doesn't work for me. This doesn't, you know, some of the things it's like, oh, you will never do X, Y, and Z again. And you look at it and you're like, objectively, yeah, no, no, that's not me. Uh, And you just let that go. But then there are sometimes still parts of the appointments that you look at and you think, okay, I'm going to keep this and let this go. So I think that filter is really an important part. Uh, of, of working with doctors and, and whether it's good or bad. I think it's, it's an important part of it. Yeah, I think that's, um, Aiden, I, I like what you're saying because at the end of the day, it's your body. And so I think that the mistake that a lot of us make, and I've made this mistake, if the doctor doesn't validate what we're feeling, then we start doubting ourselves. And r- rather than saying that they're not, appreciating what I'm saying. They're, they're not, they may or may not believe me. They may or may not express that they, that they believe me, but at least I suspect that they don't believe me. And now I'm not even believing myself, um, which it's much more harmful to stop believing yourself than to say, well, this doctor didn't believe me. And I may or may not, you know, that may or may not influence whether or not I return to this, to this person for, for care or, you know, try to find someone that does believe me. Um, but at the end of the day, it's much more important to, to believe in yourself. That is really wide words. I'm glad you said that. Um, I think it's, it's such a fine line of, I respect this doctor and I chose them because I have read great things about them and I want to go in and get their information. As Aiden said, whether I want to hear it or not, it might be something that I need to hear, but being able to have that filter that helps you say, wait a minute, this is making me doubt myself or no, this person is saying I should stop walking because walking tires me out. So I should just get in a wheelchair the rest of my life. Nope, that doesn't fit either. And really knowing yourself and having that sort of objectivity of being able to step back because you're right. When we start doubting ourselves, especially with chronic illness, when we start doubting ourselves and, and doubting when you, when you go to the ER and say, my headache is a nine and they're like, no, it's not because if it was a nine, you wouldn't be able to talk. And you're right. like, I'm pretty sure it's a nine. <laughs> you right. know? So not, not having that doubt about yourself um, is so important for all of this. So Aiden, if there is one thing that you want people to take away from this conversation, what would that be? I know it's asking you to distill a lot. Oh, so much. And just so little. Um, it's such an important topic. I would probably say the, the most important thing is to, it, it's going to be half and half. I'm going to make it two. Um, is to <laughs> respect is so important. So respect the doctor, but also respect yourself and, and respect your right to feel better and to, to, to try and feel better. And to, but also to use that filter to make sure that you're not just 
throwing things out or taking things that don't apply to you, but really using those filters uh, and really building them up over time. So you're confident in them and respecting yourself and respecting your doctor. Nice. And Dr. Blusian, I would ask you the same question. And, and I'm going to take Aiden's halves and maybe divide it into thirds. <laughs> <laughs> Come on guys. Come on. <laughs> um, so, so I mean, the first thing is don't take it personally. So I think oftentimes we, and again, I know I do this, you know, again, with the self-doubt and, oh, this, this person doesn't, doesn't like me or believe me or whatever, it, it's probably more a reflection of what's going on with, with them. So that physician may be, you know, they may have a sick child at home that day. They may be having difficulties with, you know, their employer or the insur- insurance companies all, with all the crazy re- regulations and, and, things that they have control over. Um, so just because things didn't go well, doesn't mean that you did anything wrong. So, and, and in the same vein, there are so many things that you can do to help try to make the experience more positive and more beneficial for you. And, and so for that reason, I, I also have been working on a course for this. So if anyone is interested in signing up for that, if they go to my website, there'll be more information about that. Um, because it is so important and, this is a skill that I don't think we needed back when Marcus Welby, you know, would come. Aiden's probably too young to know who Marcus Welby is. <laughs> but, you know, when, when Marcus Welby would come to your house and all they had was a stethoscope and, you know, uh, a blood pressure cuff and some very astute skills, you know, nowadays the healthcare system is so complex. And I think because our testing has become so much more advanced, we rely on that too heavily. We rely on the testing. So when the testing comes back negative, I think so often we don't believe the patient when that's absolutely not how it should be. um, Because the testing should just be one small piece of the puzzle. So at the end of the day, don't take it personally, know that this is something that that you definitely though can work on as a way of improving your access to care. And that as a cr- person who's chronically ill, it's, it's even harder because healthcare now is, is difficult for anyone to navigate, but especially if you're chronically ill. Yes, I totally agree with you. And um, I think this has been such an important conversation for us to have. I feel like there is a cornucopia of information that has come out of this conversation. We are so lucky to have both Aiden Leslie Um, bringing her point of view to this and sharing her journey and also to have Dr. Bluestein who is able to address it from the other side of the table. So we've been able to have a really great conversation from both sides of the table when both sides really want this to to work and both sides are really trying to bring everything to the the table and, and both sides are trying to make it work. As well, it's been really valuable to hear both of you talk about what happens when the person on the other side of the table for me isn't necessarily all that I had hoped they would be and the things that you can do from your point of view to try to move it forward. So Aiden, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and chat with us today and to share your experiences with us and Dr. Bluestein for being able to chime in with your experiences as well. We are grateful that you guys have been able to give us um, such a lot to think about and some really actionable steps to take with us into our next appointments. Thank you so So much for having me. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for always being willing to speak up in Bendy Bodies. You're such a great um, ambassador and a great example of how to live really incredibly well with a chronic illness. And we love having you part of the Bendy Bodies team. Yes, absolutely. 
So until then, um, this is Jennifer Milner. And for Dr. Linda Bluestein and myself, thank you very much for listening to Bendy Bodies. And we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Bendy Bodies with the Hypermobility MD, where we explore the intersection of health and hypermobility for dancers and other aesthetic athletes. If you found this information valuable, please share it with a colleague or friend and leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Remember to subscribe so you won't miss future episodes. If you want to follow us on Instagram, it's at Bendy underscore bodies and our website is www.bendybodies.org. If you want to follow Bendy Bodies founder and co-host Dr. Bluestein on Instagram, it's at hypermobilitymd, all one word, and her website is www.hypermobilitymd.com. If you want to follow co-host Jennifer Milner on Instagram, it's at jennifer.milner, M-I-L-N-E-R, and her website is www.jennifer-milner.com. Thank you for helping us spread the word about hypermobility and associated conditions. We want to hear from you. Please email us at info at bendybodies.org to share feedback. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely of the co-host and their guests. They do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of any organization. The thoughts and opinions do not constitute medical advice and should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever. This information is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease as this information is for educational purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please refer to your local qualified health practitioner for all medical concerns. We'll catch you next time on the Bendy Bodies podcast. This episode of the Bendy Bodies podcast was brought to you by Bauerfine Premium Braces and Supports, designed to provide joint stability and pain relief.